the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. All right, welcome into another edition of the Future Star Series Plus podcast. I'm your host today, Joe Doyle, in the host seat on this fine Friday afternoon. Jason Churchill uh, taking a sick day. He's not sick. Uh, we know he's not sick. Jason's being lazy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, welcome into another episode of the FSS Plus pod. Uh, we got a good show for you guys. Uh, you guys lined up today. We're going to be talking about a number of different issues. Not limited to the Astros and the New York Mets and what their offseason might look like. But on top of that, we're going to talk a little bit about my draft rankings that came out this week at Future Stars Series Plus and kind of dive into exactly what changes were made and why. Casey Bellin, my producer and co-host extraordinaire in the co-pilot seat, my friend, how are we doing today? Man, it, it, I'm excited about the World Series tonight, aren't you? I'm pretty pumped. Evan Carter batting third. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Talk about a guy drafted as an unknown. I mean, the Rangers were ripped apart by talking heads on the uh, on the internet and on TV when that happened, but an unknown. Um, and now he's batting third as a 21-year-old, I think, in the World Series. That is nutty, man. Yeah, I, I can't believe that. Evan Carter has come along as far as he has in one season, one season. And, you know, this hasn't been a, oh, he's been in the majors for two or three years, gotten some at bats. Um, and then it kind of clicked for him. It's one year, one year. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Can we, can we give the Rangers like, I hate to do it. I hate to do it, but it needs to be done. There's this false narrative going around that they spent their way to a world series. And, Listen, they're not here without Corey Seager. There's no doubt about it. And he was an outstanding sign. But let me just, can we just list off some of the guys that they have developed in-house? I mean, for all intents and purposes, Jonah Heim was homegrown. He, he was acquired, but he was homegrown. Josh Young, homegrown. Nathaniel Lowe, you know, he was refined and polished in Texas, right? I mean... I know that he came from, I think he came from Tampa, was it? Um, but they've turned him into a potential all-star first baseman. Evan Carter, fantastic. Adolis Garcia, they took a flyer on him and they fixed it. They made it work. They developed that player, Leody Tavares. So, I mean, a lot of this Gosh. team was developed in-house. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they strung it together in-house. Now, the complementary pieces of, Givaldi and John Gray and Haney and um, you know Scherzer to a lesser degree at this point in the season. Obviously, they paid for those, but what team hasn't paid for some players? I just think we need to point out that the Rangers did not buy a World Series appearance. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they've added around that core that they they did buy, and then and then also that they brought up in 
and just added the perfect sort of um, role players around them. You know, LeClerc. Look at that guy. I mean, he's done mm-hmm. <laughs> just out of the bullpen what he's done for them in the playoffs alone. I mean, without him, I, I don't know that they get past Houston. So um, just done a great job of at, at supplementary players to um, build around that core. But that's the key, right? I, I mean, you look at some of the teams that that haven't succeeded, the, the Mets, the Padres, to a lesser degree, the Padres, um, and to a lesser degree, the Yankees. The Rangers have key pieces on this roster in this lineup that they've developed that are homegrown, that are controllable, that are cheap. And that, you know, there's not a lot of that with the Mets. And there's less with the Padres and there's even, I mean, I, you got Aaron judge and some, some young players coming up with the Yankees right now that uh, should pay dividends, but there's just not a whole lot of major league regulars on any of those rosters that, that were, that were developed at home. So kudos to the Rangers uh, kudos to the snakes for making it to the world series. Excited that a, a, just a, I guess a Cinderella, right? You don't see Cinderella's in Major League Baseball too much, but just a total uh, sleeper outlier. One of the teams that you probably expected least had a chance to get to this point when the playoffs started uh, has reached the World Series. That's really, really um, exciting and easy to root for. But I want to kind of shift gears here a little bit. Can we get Jump a game into one our, prediction? Uh, a game one, game prediction. one prediction. We got Zach Galen, Nathan Yavaldi tonight. Yeah, you know, Gallon hasn't been tremendous in the playoffs. Merrill Kelly has just, I mean, put that team on tow, and I think he's probably going to get the game, uh, the ball game two. Zach Gallon, I think he's sporting about a five and a half ERA in the playoffs at this point. Could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on it. I five, will two, say four. I'm going to give five to four. Okay, I'm going to take Texas in game one. Uh, I think Eovaldi has kind of put it together here uh, in the playoffs after kind of struggling down the stretch. And I just think uh, you pointed this out. Kudos to you. You pointed this out, what, three, four weeks ago. It's just an offensive juggernaut. There's, there's nowhere to hide. Um, They're balanced. They hit, they take walks. Uh, They don't steal many bases, but in terms of like, showing a spot in the lineup where you can take a deep breath as a starter. There's not a lot of those opportunities. So I will say, uh, I will say Rangers seven and D backs three, which is a pretty big win in major league baseball, especially in the world series. But what do you got Casey? I, I got seven to three, seven to three, Texas. Yeah, no, I, I, I think of the same thing. I think you're right. I think Yavaldi, like you said, man, he's just really turned it on uh, in the playoffs and overall the, the Rangers pitching staff really, as a whole has turned it on in the playoffs. And so if we're talking about a team that, you know, obviously their strength is hitting, but all of a sudden they're pitching really well, that's a problem. And it, and it's been a problem for every team they face. So uh, I'm going to roll with the Rangers tonight. I think, I think game two could be more competitive. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Do, do the snakes need to run a whole bunch kind of like they did uh, against the Phillies to, have a chance in this series because, you know, Carroll was on the run. Cattell uh, Marte had a bunch of big hits, and then they kind of dink and dunked their way to four runs a game against against the Phillies. Do they need to run and, and test Jonah Heim and test Mitch Garver a little bit to 
kind of get the Rangers on their heels here? I think it'll just add a different dynamic to the game. I think they need to surprise Texas a little bit with their athleticism, throw them off balance, the pitching specifically, because you have all these veteran and and it's going to be tough to shake him. But if you can start stealing bases, he might missing pit, be missing some pitches while he's peeking over at you at first. You know, um, that kind of stuff could help them. I, I didn't see that. I think Marte, I could tell Marte, tweaked his, looked like his groin or his hip or something at the end of, um game seven um so hopefully that doesn't affect the series at all because it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch yeah i mean um really quick side sidebar if you would have told me nick castellanos was gonna go 0 for 24 to end his season boy (laughs) after the game that he had uh that would have that would have stunned me uh casey do you want to uh you want to jump into a little bit of draft rankings we've got 28 teams that are on the outs looking forward to 2024 and the 2024 draft. Um, I'm assuming you've had a chance to kind of at least poke around with these draft rankings a little bit and kind of prepare yourself for what that might look like. So kind of what are your, what are your overall thoughts here? Well, my first thought was Kurtz. I mean, you know, he's number one on your list. Um, A first baseman, obviously uh, bat first, um, you know, average on defense, but, what are your thoughts on him be, being able to be a Bryce Harper level ish bat, a generational bat, so to speak? Is is he is he there? Is that why he's at one as a first baseman for you? Is he to that level? Is there that potential there? So, I think there's the potential there. I, I want to kind of go over some of the numbers that that brought me to this point. The reason I've got Nick number one is because he's done it two years in a row last year with wake um, his actual, his bats of ball skills actually took a, took a step back. So he went from 82% contact in 2022 as a true freshman to 79% as a true sophomore. Now his chase rates went down and um, his batted ball data looked better, but because of that, I don't know if he's going to put up like a batting average slash line, from a guy like a like a guy like a Bryce Harper, uh, and he's obviously not going to provide, at least early in his career, the defensive value and the and the, you know, the base running value that a guy like Bryce Harper uh, can command. But a guy like, you know, I've I've seen comparisons to a guy like Matt Olson, probably not this 2023 version of Matt Olson, because what do you have 56 homers? Like let's be, <laughs> let's be real. Yeah. Um, but if you look back at like what Matt Olson was in terms of, you know, his control years in, in Oakland, talking about a guy that hit 259, 247, 267, 271, and anywhere between 25 and 40 homers a year while playing a good first base. I kind of see that here with, with, with Kurtz. He's got a really powerful swing, leverages hard into the ground. There's a lot of loft in it, uh, and it's kind of the same. He kind of lags to the bat similar to the way that Matt Olson does. So you got to be really good, man, as a first baseman to go number one. You got to be as surefire a bet as there is to go number one. But he can run a little bit. It might be an above average glove. He can certainly hit. He's got a discerning eye. There's a ton of bat speed. He's got a chance to be an all-star level first baseman. So because of that, he moves up to number one. 
Yeah, really interesting. I thought, you know, first thing when I when I hit the rankings and popped in there was, okay, you know, first baseman at number one. Not that it really surprised me, but you automatically just know that means that the bat has to be pretty spectacular. So, um, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, give me, um, you know, I know we've been talking about this. This class is is college loaded, right? Um, give me the the highest ceiling college pitcher in the early rounds that you've got? I mean, I think it's got to be Brody Breck out of Iowa, uh, former wide receiver, six foot four, 210 pounds up to 101. throws a 93 mile an hour slider throws an 86 to 87 mile an hour curveball. He's really focused on the changeup this year. It's unbelievable stuff. I, I've kind of, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit, and at least in terms of stuff as to like what, I mean, it's not too dissimilar from Justin Verlander's arsenal uh, with a, with a bit firmer curveball. And whenever you say something like that, you're like, okay, the stuff is better than Justin Verlander's. What are you talking about? Uh, no, I, I think the stuff is really, really big for Brecht. It's always been, is he going to throw enough strikes to actually, you know, command himself, you know, the, the ability to start at the next level. Uh, this past season at Iowa, he, he pitched 77 innings and he walked 61 batters, struck out 109 guys. Um, but that's a lot of walks. And so to give you an idea of how unbelievable his stuff is, I mean, the guy pitched 77 innings and he surrendered 37 hits. Like that's, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not real. Um, so on like on one hand, could it be Justin Verlander esque? Yeah, I mean the stuff is there for it to potentially become that sort of a player. Is it more likely that he's like a Pierce Johnson, Ryan Presley type of dynamic reliever who has below average command? I think that's probably the case with a lot of pitchers. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got the chance to be as good a college arm that we have seen come out since at least Jack Leiter and Jack had a lot of red flags, not involving command. Brody's are a little bit different. So, but I'll tell you, Casey, not to go on a tangent. There's a ton of that in this class. I tweeted about that earlier this week. The amount of high like volatility arms that could go in either direction i mean i i mentioned brecht i actually have chase burns ranked higher on my board because he's up to 102 it's the same type of 92 mile an hour slider i like his his operation more than brecht's i think it has the ability to actually stay in a starting rotation but he's had command issues and it doesn't really end there like hagan smith is a is a lefty out of arkansas who's been up to 100 um thatcher Hurd up to 99 um who else? Ben Hess at Alabama up to a hundred. There's a lot. Marcus Morgan at Iowa. I mean, there's so many guys that have top of the rotation upside that could be top 10 picks in this class that ultimately are held back because of command and just general uh, concerns with their ability to pitch five or more innings. Um, it's been a while since I've seen this much top shelf college pitching, and I'm really excited to take it in this year. Do you think there's some good opportunity for teams that are maybe later in the first round to 
up a couple of college pitchers that maybe slid due to the control issues and 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 potentially get um out of that elite talent late in the round yeah i think so i think there's there's going to be two ways to attack it you could find elite stuff late in the first round uh, you know a guy like marcus morgan a guy like uh like ben hess out of alabama uh and you can go for those guys or you can take the inverse of it and you can take guys with really really good stuff and a little bit more polish you know, I look at a guy like Trey Savage out of East Carolina, Josh Hartle out of Wake Forest, Drew Beam out of Virginia. These are guys that don't have the stuff as some of the top four or five guys in the draft, but they're pretty good bets to be solid number three arms at the next level. You know, all of these guys are 92 to 94 with you know a plus secondary and, and considerable starter traits, command. Um, pedigree they've they've got the uh track record of long innings and so because of that like i've said this you're gonna find legitimate starting pitchers who could move quickly um as late as the third and fourth round in this class and i i really believe that i think this is i would have to go back and actually take a look at some of my old old data points but you know this might be the best college pitching that i've seen in at least the deepest I've seen in six or seven years. It's, it's, it's a good crop. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, all right. Well, let's see. One of the things I was really interested in is, is in, in terms of backstops. Um, I think, you know, your first backstop listed catcher is uh, Jacob Cozart at, at 14. Um, and then Malcolm Moore at 22 and Caleb Lomavita at 28. Um, out of the three there, who's, who's going to move the quickest? That's a good question. I mean, it's gotta be Cozart. Um, well, actually there's, I guess not to confuse the listeners, but there's two ways to look at this too. Like on one hand, a guy like Malcolm Moore probably isn't going to catch. He's probably going to move pretty quick as a bat. But on the other hand, a guy like Jacob Cozart is definitely going to catch. So maybe they need to season him a little bit more through the big leagues. I think the bigger question always for catchers in any draft is who's actually a catcher? Like who is, who's got the chops to catch? And I'm not talking like Kyle Schwarber. He got to the big leagues and caught for a year because he's a catcher. I'm talking like who's going to catch for eight years. You know, we're not going to yeah. force a square peg into a round hole. Who's going to catch? And there's not like Jacob Cozart is going to catch. Caleb Lomavita might catch. Derek Bender is fourth on my list. He is a he's kind of like a Mike Napoli, right? It's like brute force, tons of power. There's some arm strength, but uh, not the softest hands. Uh, you probably got to go down the board to a guy like Ryan Stafford at Cal Poly. He's probably nine or 10 on my board to find another surefire catcher. So uh, to answer your question, I think Jacob Cozart probably takes a little bit longer to move up, uh, up the ladder as he learns the ins and outs of professional catching. But Malcolm Moore's bat has shown flashes of being so good that he could be at the big leagues and produce. He looks a lot like Alex Verdugo at the plate, by the way, kind of sidebar. Um, Malcolm Moore could be a guy that produces some pretty good numbers uh, from first base or left field. He's a really talented player. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, 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 and it's interesting that, you know, there's just, especially for 
major league teams that are looking for catching, it seems like there's really not a lot of guarantees uh, in this draft. Yeah. What do you think, really quick, Casey, what are your thoughts on the changing of the meta in Major League Baseball as it pertains to catchers? Like, if, So if you were playing GM for a day and I said, we're going to draft a catcher in the first round, would you – would you be terribly worried about their receiving skills and their framing skills just because the rule changes are coming? Or are you just just straight up looking for a guy that's got big power and a huge throwing arm? Like, do you take the right fielder and put him behind the plate? Or do you still value, you know, the the tools of a, of a good backstop? I think the difference in, in what a catcher can make for a pitcher um, just in yeah. terms of their ability to um, not just receive, but to understand the game, to call the game, um, you know, and, and to have input on defensively on what's going on um, is huge. And, and and it seems to me like guys that care about catching truly um, and that receive well and put the work in to do that are also the guys that are putting the work into, um, you know, um, calling games and, and understanding what's going on and um, understanding how to talk to pitchers. Um, and uh, so I, th- yeah, I think it's incredibly important. Certainly saw some runs scored by the diamondbacks actually against the Phillies um, because of an inability to hold the runners, right? It's a, it's a big part of the game being able to hold the runners. Now this wasn't real Muto's fault ultimately, but I think, part of that bigger conversation of holding runners in place is the ability to block a, a breaking ball. Breaking balls are only going to get harder, faster. They're going to spin more. And the expectation to knock one of those down with the chest plate and keep it in front of you is just going to get more and more demanding. So I do think there is an intrinsic ability for a catcher, like a mindset for a catcher to be able to do that. Well, we've seen some really good, catchers over the year. Real Muto is very, very good at it. Mike Zanino, really good at just keeping the ball in front of them. And there's some guys that struggle with it. And so I think you definitely have to weigh that in terms of, okay, yeah, this guy will certainly be able to hit enough to be a big time regular. And he's got the arm strength to stay behind the plate. But I mean, if he's, if he's costing us three or four bases a game because he can't block a breaking ball or he's just got hard hands on a, you know, a fastball up in the zone, I think it's something you got to consider. So good point. Yeah, it's sort of the the um, not an issue, but it's sort of where Harry Ford is at with Seattle right now, right? Um, yeah. Is he going to catch? He's uber athletic. Um, he he can hit the ball. He draws walks. Um, everything says that you know Harry Ford um, is going to be fine at the plate um, at the big leagues. Of course, we say that until they get there, we don't know. But um, it, it's really been how well of a not a receiver but staying in front of the ball is he and and so there's a lot of guys like that it seems like you know you were talking about um on your list right at the top malcolm moore caleb lomavita um where it's a question of are they going to be able to stay in front of the ball and and catch for eight years yeah yeah i mean the only thing the rule changes are really changing is is framing a lot in a lot of ways right just whether or not can you can you pull a ball into the zone can you keep a ball in the zone? Maybe that part goes away, but all of those other pieces. And yeah, it, it does ultimately dilute the catching position a little bit, but all of the key pieces of being a good catcher 
I think for the most part stand true. Um, Casey, I got a question for you. You again, you're going to be in the in the general manager seat, okay? You are running the what team do I want to give you right now? Well, I'm going to give you the team that you're most familiar with. I'll give you the Seattle Mariners, okay? Uh, and it's not a bad team to use as an example. The New York Mets might go through a transformational winter. Obviously not um, confirmed, and, and they don't, certainly don't need to cut payroll. I mean, they have infinite amounts of money. But let's say they move a Pete Alonso. And I think they've got some options over there. Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, uh, Jeff McNeil, you know, that. They've got some players that can take the first base back. Uh, so you get one year of Pete Alonzo. What's his trade value look like? What are you giving up and feeling okay about uh, to acquire a guy like one year of Pete Alonzo? Yeah, I think from my organization, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to probably give up at least one top 10 prospect. And then from the Mets, you know, they are looking to compete still. They're probably going to want um at least one mlb guy in that deal maybe not but that would be my guess um and and it would probably be pitching um you know am i willing to give up a emerson hancock you know type guy but probably not because pete alonzo he's not a good extension candidate um you know he's, he's already spending how old is he he's He's 28. 29? Yeah, 29 next year, I think. 29 next year. We saw some signs possibly of decline um, in uh, in 2023, and, and he could turn that around, uh, but I'm not loving it. You know, he did – he hit 217. Uh, we already, as, a, as an organization from the Mariners' standpoint, strike out a whole bunch. Um, this probably, you know – from from the Mariners' standpoint, is not the direction they want to go. But just as far as Pete Alonso's trade value, you know, he's probably worth somewhere in that range where you're giving up a, a top ten prospect prospect and maybe one more, um, you know, in your lower twenty five. Um, so where does he go? Tech deal. Um, there are there are some teams I think that make some sense, and you're right. I, I don't know if Seattle is especially for a right-handed hitter with those ballpark dimensions. I don't know if they make the most sense, but what if you're Ross Atkins in Toronto and maybe you want to play around with a DH first base combination there and they're potentially losing some, some steam with Brandon Belt. Obviously different players, but uh, if you're Toronto, are you interested in a guy like Pete Alonso? And I'm uh, putting you on the spot here a little bit, but what sort of a, yeah. what sort of a move do you make there? I think that just it really depends on what I'm going to do with Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I know that we've talked previously about possibly them trading them. If they don't, um, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense for them. They got the DH spot. I think that they, you know, they could deploy him there and then kind of split time between Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Pete Alonso. But then you're almost tandeming, you know, two guys that last year struggled. A whole bunch, mm -hmm. um, and 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 I don't know that running into twenty twenty four with two first basemen, whether they're at DH or first base, um, Alonzo's probably, you know, they're probably about equal at first base, really, uh, in terms yeah. of defense. Um, 
you know, I don't know that running out there with that is, is a fantastic idea. My idea would maybe be Baltimore, you know, you have, you know, you have the pitching and, and the, and the farm to go get him. Um, They don't want to spend a ton of money. It seems like, so you get, um, you know, you just won a hundred games. You go get an impact power bat um, that they need because Santander has been great for them, but a lot of the power is missing. I, I, I mean, I think that they have a lot of 20 to 25 home run guys potentially there, but they don't have the 40 home run guy. Right. So um, you add that to that lineup. I think, I think it makes an impact. I think that's a good call. I think Philly is another interesting call. I, you know, I don't know what their plan is with Hoskins. I don't know what their plan is with Bryce Harper, whether or not they believe or, or want to believe that he can play a solid average right field going forward. But, you know, if they do lose Hoskins, that's an interesting way to fill that void. And I don't know, you know, maybe he stays in the NL East. I, I think there's a lot of teams that would, you know, bend over backwards for, for Pete Alonzo. It's just, it, 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 what complicates it is it's the Mets. Like they don't yeah. have to move him. Yeah. You know, they, yep. they don't have to reset. They don't have to reconfigure. They don't have to do any of that. Money is not an issue with the Mets. So really it comes down to whether or not David Stearns thinks it is a baseball, a wise baseball move. Cause I'll tell you one thing, Casey, no way is Steve Cohen walking into David Stearns office and saying, I'll let you take a breather in 2024. As long as we compete in 2025, nobody's taking a $350 million payroll into a season and going, let's make sure we're good next season. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, what do you think his value is worth in terms of, in terms of trade? I mean, if you know, if you're the Phillies, what do you what are you willing to give up? Oh man, um, yeah. Now you kind of got me on the spot a little bit. That's tough. I, I think ultimately, if you're going to get Pete Alonso, you're going to have to inherently overpay, right? I mean, what what good? do the Mets have by moving him unless they're getting exorbitant value? So I look at maybe a guy like Orion Kirkering. He came up as a, as a reliever for the Phillies this year, big fastball, big breaking ball. He's got like dynamic, um, you know, back of the bullpen upside. I think if you were to get Kirkering and shoot, you know, just something that can, that can fill a roster spot in 2024, that's a little bit more athletic than what you've got right now. It, you know, I think that makes a little bit of sense. Um, they've got some other guy, Christian McGowan's getting close. Yeah, like I, I think you just, you, if you're the Mets, you probably look to get a couple of interesting arms, a couple of interesting like supplementary pieces that help you in places that you struggled in 2023. And you also have to backfill the, uh, the lost offense. So not an easy thing to do at all. Yeah, but nope, um, I agree with you there. I, do you right, think, so do you think he gets moved? No, I think they extended. I think they extended. They extended I think this this winter, huh? Yeah, I do. I think there was a report, I believe, that came out. Oh gosh, it had to have been. I think it was end of September that um, they would prefer to hold on to him and extend him. But but I think you know that's them probably trying to tell Pete Alonso that they would like to extend him for less money than he wants if he's willing to stay. Yeah, what's a fair deal, man? I mean. The home runs are awesome. They are. But he's essentially 
probably never going to be more than a three-win player, right? His best seasons are three and a half. So, I mean, just by by calculation's sake, that what's that, 25 million a year peak? So if you're giving him financial would you stability... Give him, would you give him like seven years, $150 million? I think that's about where I'd be good. What's that? That's about 22 and a half million a year. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's I, about I think that's, the range. I think that's a fair deal. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. fair deal. I think he's probably going to want more than that. But yeah, who's his age? Seven years is already something I'm, I'm uncomfortable with. So yeah, I don't yeah. want to give him seven years. I mean, I would probably yeah. be more comfortable at five. I don't think his agency or he's going to accept that. But, you know, I'd probably do five, 120 for him, give him 24 mil for five years and, and kumbaya. Um, how long do you I think, think you're on the right DH. track? How long do you think he's <laughs> until he's a DH too? That's the other question, right? How long is he going to stick at first? Um, you know, we don't, we don't know what his decline defensively looks like. Well, the thing, here's my thing with the Mets is they've, and we started this show off with this, the, the Mets have not done a good job of prioritizing their homegrown players. And I think towards the end of the year, this year, you saw some players come up that might not have tremendous positional versatility, but are better at first base than Pete Alonso. Brett Beatty right now is a solid third baseman. He's not spectacular over there, but he's solid. He's a candidate to move to first base. Mark Vientos, I'd like to see him get more, more looks. And then you've got all the guys in the dirt, Jeff McNeil and Roni Mauricio and Francisco Lindor and Luis Angel, uh, Luis Angel and Acuna is not, he probably is there next year. So I think when you take all of those infielders into consideration and you, and you take into consideration that I, I think Jet Williams is probably not terribly far off. We might see Kevin Parada uh, next year as well. He might be a first baseman at the end of the day. I think you're going to have to find a way to get more athletes on the field. It's, it's, it's kind of the uh, New York Yankees syndrome, right? You've got to find a way to get athletes on the field. And because of that, I think Pete Alonso probably only has another year or two at first base before he's taken those Dan Vogelbach at bats. Yeah. And, and that's sort of, that's sort of where I'm at too. By the time he's 31, 32, he's probably sitting at DH. All right. Uh, I know you wanted to, to talk a little bit about the, uh, the Astros off, off season coming up and, oh, the, yeah. uh, and the, uh, the dusty. Baker dusty. Yeah. Yeah. I got jokes. Got? Okay, let's hear them. Well, I'm just, you know, I, I feel for the for the wristband industry. I, you know, I don't know how they're going to make up these lost revenues, and um, you know, it'll be nice with the black plastic gloves being off the board, not watching the OJ trial every night, uh, and I mean that in a total black plastic glove <laughs> uh, mindset. It's just his whole by all accounts dusty is a great guy i've never talked to him never met him but his 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 appearance is always so strange to me i don't know how he doesn't choke on a toothpick he's twirling that thing around in his mouth how has he never stabbed himself the roof of his mouth he's got black plastic gloves on every game he's got neon wristbands every game it's just such an eclectic look for for a manager um but in all seriousness Probably a loss for the Houston Astros. 
I think he's well liked. You know, I know he's not well liked in the analytics department up there. I know he's not totally well liked in in the performance side of of the team because you know he's one of these grit over analytics types guys. But I think it's going to ultimately be a loss. And how could it not be? You look at the results that they've had year over year over year. They're always in the ALCS if they're not in the World Series. What more is another guy going to do? The, the roster's getting older. We've been saying that for a few years now, I understand. But the roster is getting older. And there's not a ton of you know prospects that we see pushing the envelope right now to, for playing time. I think the Astros are you know, set to take a step back. But I will say, you know, we'll see what direction this organization goes, but I think it's going to be really telling based on who they hire on the direction they want to go. Is this going to be a Jeff Bagwell, Jim Crane type of hire? Is this going to be a analytics type of hire? Are they going to lean into what has actually made them great in evaluating some of these players? So, um, yeah, the the toothpick and the the neon wristbands and the gloves and everything that comes along with Dusty Baker was always strange to me, but he's a hell of a manager and he's well-respected in the game and we'll see what the Astros do from here. Yeah, I think they've got to go after pitching right this offseason. Do you think they are willing think, to spend yeah. more? Or do you think that they um, the farm is probably not loaded with um, – you know, prospects to go and get pitching, um, not, you know, t- high, high impact pitching. Um, you'd think that has to come through free agency. Um, and, you know, yeah, they brought back Verlander. He's got another year, doesn't he, on his deal? Yeah, he's got one more. He's got one more year. So, um, you know, Christian Javier, he's looked okay. Um, but they've struggled to, you know, put together um, games where, um, the bats don't have to win it for them, and, and especially in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I would think that they probably would want to go after pitching. I actually don't think it is the biggest need for the team. It's going to be a big need for the team here in a year or two. But next year, you know, they got Verlander coming back. I, I don't know when that guy's going to fall apart, but you know, they do have Justin Verlander coming back. They have Lance McCullers coming back. He's missed essentially, he will have essentially missed like 19 or 20 months of baseball. So, you know, they've got him. That's a step in the right direction. Christian Javier is coming back. And then they've got Hunter Brown, who admittedly needs to take a step forward next year. But they've still got Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, and Framber Valdez, all returning for 2024 and 2025. So I think they're okay in the starter market i do think they need to develop some young arms and time will tell who who kind of comes comes out of that but you know like i look at a guy like ryan presley kendall graveman is going to be gone hector naris uh, i believe he has a player option for like eight million um he might be gone so i think they're going to dip their toes pretty hard into the uh into the reliever market and I mean, listen, if you're willing to spend 60 million bucks on on Jose Abreu, I think you can probably make the case that Josh Hader would look pretty good in Houston Orange, no? 
Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you thought they might go after Hater, and and yeah. it's a it's a valid question, but um, I don't know that they're going to be willing to give him. I think Hater is going to command probably maybe the biggest reliever contract maybe ever. Um, at this point, you know he's and I I, and I don't know that Houston um is going to be willing to pay that. I, you know, I guess we'll see. Hard to know. I mean, they've already got two hundred million dollars committed to next year. Uh, after pre-arb and arb, that's you know they, I think they went about two forty-six this year. Uh, after you know for the luxury tax purposes, uh, for just payroll alone, they did two twenty-five. I, I think they're gonna absolutely blow that out of the water in uh, in twenty twenty-four. They're gonna have to. I mean, they don't have anybody rolling off the books. They're gonna have to. Um, so what do they do at catcher? Yeah, I mean, what do they what do they do at catcher? I think they, think just they do just what stick they with Maldonado. I do. Yeah. I think they really value. I think, first of all, I think they value what he brings to the team from a leadership game calling and holding the running game perspective. And I think, you know, there's a lot of teams that have done quite well uh, with a, a offensive black hole behind the plate, but someone that, you know, does his job. So if it's one spot in the lineup, if it's, if it's that guy batting ninth in the lineup that, you know, is an automatic out, so be it. But I think they're comfortable with him. And, you know, they, they just traded Corey. Uh, oh, what was the name of the kid they just traded to Chicago? Corey. I don't even remember. But their top catching prospect, who'd struggled. You know, they just moved him. So I think it's more Martin Maldonado. If I'm being totally honest with you, man, like the biggest question that I have with the Houston Astros is, what are they going to do with Alex Bregman? Because next year's it. He's making 30 and a half million. And next year is it for Jose Altuve. He's making 29 million. I can't imagine they're keeping both of those guys. I can't imagine. And yeah, yeah. I, you know, listen, Altuve is going to be 36 in 2025, he'll be 34, 35 in 2024. Like he probably signs a three-year, eighty million dollar deal to end his career in Houston. I think Bregman walks. Yeah. Just so you think there's deal. any chance they 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 trade him at the deadline? Then I think there's a chance they trade him this winter. Yeah. Like I don't think it's out of the question. That team needs help in some different places, right? He's making thirty million dollars, and Alex Bregman has been good. Not not tremendous um i wouldn't call him a like a franchise cornerstone he's been a really really good third baseman and he's a guy that has benefited tremendously from the crawford boxes i think you could get a decent little package in return for one year of bregman uh so that's kind of you know maybe the maybe the surprise of the of the winner he's 30 years old he'll be 31 next year um, if a team wants to bring him in and sign him to a five-year, $140 million deal through age 36, um, you know, maybe you're motivated to to go get him. That almost you know, seems the, like look the, at the Phillies again. The perfect what if the, the Phillies Yankees or the Phillies? Or the Phil or the Yankees. Yeah, but what if what if the Phillies were to say, let's move Alec Bohm to first base? Let's go acquire Alex Bregman. We'll send the Astros, I mean name your prospect that they love uh shoot they would probably love orion kirkering knowing knowing their uh you know the way that they value players with analytics 
it's something to keep in mind. I don't know how they replace Alex Bregman, but it's not terribly difficult to replace a $31 million third baseman. There are ways to do it. I don't know. Just thinking outside the box. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Phillies are a great idea. I think the Yankees would be a great idea. And I think they'd be willing to extend somebody like Brainman. They need guys that get on base. They, they, you know, OBP wise this year, the Yankees were bad. I think they were almost, yeah. I think they were fifth worst as an offense um, in OBP this year. That's, you know, so um, they need guys to, you can have Aaron judge and you can have Stanton, which that's another conversation, but if you're not getting runners on in front of them, it doesn't matter. So, uh, you know, Bregman does a good job of that. Um, they're hoping, you know, that Dominguez can do that. But if you can get Bregman at third base um, and then sort of add from there, I just don't know, you know, who Houston would be interested in um, in terms of, you know, what the Yankees have, because yeah, they're almost looking for the same thing that the Yankees are guys that get on base and play in the outfield. Right. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation. I'll throw you one more, and then we'll then we'll check out of this one just so we don't go too long for these guys. Uh, the Blue Jays are losing Matt Chapman. Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting one. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No chance Matt Chapman comes back. You think? I would just be surprised if I mean. I guess there's a chance Matt Chapman signs a one year prove it deal, but this is kind of his opportunity to get paid. And he really cost himself a lot of money down the stretch. Um, He was the best player in baseball in April and May, but he was pretty bad down the stretch. I knowing that the blue Jays have to resign Vlad and Bo after 2025. I don't think there's any chance that, that it makes sense to keep him around. Now, if he wants to sign a one-year deal worth $20 million to try and show that he was who he was in April and May and that the hip issues and the back issues aren't, a, aren't an issue, you know, maybe Toronto's interested in that. But at the same time, if if he's wanting to make one-year $20 million, I bet you there's teams that would step up for one-year and $25 million for someone like Chapman. So I think he's probably done in Toronto. Yeah, I probably have to agree with you there. All right, we're going to be um, at game six next Thursday, probably when we get back to you, or Friday. Um, so we will get a prediction, World Series prediction, out of Joe when we come back next week. I'll give you one now, man. I, I don't think we're going to see a game. I don't think we're going to see a game six. You think, so. you think the Rangers are taking it in four? Five. 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 I don't think they'll five. sweep. I don't think they'll sweep the snakes, but uh, yeah, give me uh give me the Rangers in five and, and let's catch up next week and see where things are at. If you had to root for one though, who are you rooting for? Oh, the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> the snakes. I mean, listen, Corbin Carroll. I watched Corbin Carroll as a high schooler. He was phenomenal. Uh I watched, you know, of course, Paul Seawald is is one of the easiest guys on the planet to root for. And they're the underdog. And I got a lot of, you know, buddies in in the Texas organization, but they're in the AL West. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'll celebrate with you guys if you guys win it. But until that time happens, I'm I'm a sucker for an underdog. 
Yep, nope, I'm right there with you. All right, well, let's let these guys go. This has been the FSS Plus podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time. So just chill to the next episode.